Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Tox and Tasting Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast. What what kind of podcast is this, Peter? Uh, the podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. So, this is Bull Hagen. This is Vicker. And Peter's here. Hey, Pete. So... This is our show today. Uh, both Berg and Bert could not be here, but you know, we still have to put a show out, don't we? The audience demands that the, because since we started this every Sunday, we haven't missed one, have we, Peter? As far as I know, we might have a few cop outs with like it was just a you know I think we did a Happy Easter episode or. Uh, Merry Christmas episode where it was just like, hey, yes, Merry Christmas. And we had but that like we fif- have that, uploaded that fifteen. I did like a fifteen minute real talk. Yeah, but we have for some reason I sounded oddly everything. angry at you. <laughs> 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 so, um, so Vicar, you brought a beverage for yourself today. Yeah, just another glass bottle of Coke. All right, we'll pop that. And you got muffins too. Yeah, yeah, some homemade chocolate chip muffins. Wow. There's three of them, so there's enough for all three of us. Uh, not quite, Vicar. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, just doing that to flaunt, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I see what you did there. You brought muffins that I can't eat. And I'm not there, so I can't either. That's I, right. I'd ship them, but I don't trust the Postal Service right now. That's right. I, I had a, a protein shake this morning. And and do you know you how sad this is? Guess what kind of protein I have to buy? Because most protein shakes are made from whey protein, which is dairy. So I got this bag of protein powder that's beef protein isolate. And somehow it's this white powder of protein that's made from meat. And I wonder how they they make it. It's probably mostly tendons and cartilage, I'm assuming. It's got to be like discards. Right, like there's no way they're they're making that out of pr- you know prime meat. It's the stuff that they couldn't even make dog food out of, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Have you ever had that, Vicker? No. N- neither neither that nor dog food. No. Well, it's not bad dog food. All right. So uh, yeah, it's just Vicker and I. So we don't have uh, the wisdom of Berg or the exuberance of Bert today. Um, but, uh, um, what are we preaching on? I guess, why don't you ask me that, Pete? <laughs> hey, Bullhagen, what are you preaching on? Well, funny you should mention that. Um, tomorrow is Epiphany 2, and, uh, it is, uh, one where we often talk about marriage. And where is that found, Vicar? That'd be, the reading is John 2, verses 1 to 11. It's the well-known wedding feast at Cana. Okay. Um, so let's uh, kind of review the facts of that. I don't think we have to, to necessarily read the whole thing. But uh, a couple of things we notice from this text is um, is Jesus is at a wedding feast with his mother, um, and uh, they run out of wine. And Mary tells the servants to do whatever Jesus tells them to do. And what does Jesus tell them to do? Bigger. Okay, so I'll even just read the verse. Uh, Jesus said to the servants, 
fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they did, and the uh, water became wine. Jesus told his mother, my time has not come yet. I'm not, not, and, uh, and, um, and so uh, here we have this being the first sign, John says. This was the first of his signs that Jesus did at Galilee. And uh, historically, most uh, pastors have used this to talk about marriage. Why do, you, why do you think so? Why do you think they use this as occasion to talk about marriage? Well, it happens to take place at a wedding, which mm-hmm. is quite fitting. And we sometimes describe, you know, talk about the marriage feast of the Lamb and how that connects in with communion. And here mm-hmm. we have one of the two elements that we have in communion. We have the wine. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, that is a, a very good, that's what the a seminarian always latches on. There's wine, communion, right? Yeah. Uh, should, um, should be the obvious answer, right? Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that water, do you remember why that water was there, Vicar, perchance? Yeah. Why was that water there? Therefore? It was um, it was ritual washing, if I remember correctly. The Yeah, the jars. The stone jars were for, you know, being ceremonially clean. And it was a great embarrassment to run out of wine. And so one, one, one thing that is often brought about from this text then is God's blessing upon marriage. That marriage is, as Jesus chose this as the first of his sign, uh, one, you could say this is, in a sense, Christ, uh, the beginning of Christ taking for himself a bride, church, but also how marriage was instituted by God and also sustained by God. And uh, here, in a sense, Jesus reveals himself in this wedding. So, um, and so that's a good, a good thing to talk about when talking about this text is to talk about marriage or wedding and how God blesses marriage because that's one thing that is not always clearly seen, is the benefits of marriage um, or the fact that uh, um, how important it is. But our whole society is built on marriage. Uh, weddings and marriage all seem to be a formality in the minds of many. Uh, but it's not. It's instituted by God. And this is how God reveals himself. And so God honors marriage, and so we also shall honor marriage. You got any more thoughts on this text, Peter? Or Vicar? <laughs> I would be interested to hear what Peter thinks on it too. But yeah, I mean, it, I mean, you could, you could go with just miracles in general. As, as you're talking, I was thinking, it's like, we, we hear in the epistles a few times about the bride of Christ. This mm-hmm. idea of God instituting marriage, like, I could easily see taking that and connecting it right into you know, his, his death and resurrection and how, you know, he laid down his life for his bride. Mm-hmm. You know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, how far down the rabbit hole you want to go, I guess, but well, husbands, it's all connected. Yeah, husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church, um, we tend to use that as a, a qu- quantitative statement. Husbands love your wives as much as Christ loved the church. But I think it's more than just a quantitative. 
Love husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, a reference to how he washed her clean through the waters of baptism. And so it places the love of a husband also not just in the physical care of his wife, but also uh, his desire that uh, she be a part of the kingdom of heaven as well. And so those who are aspiring to get married must also bear that in mind, that uh, they, they desire that their bride-to-be be presented holy, pure, and blameless through the forgiveness of sins. And also, uh, those getting married would not want to do ever do anything that is damaging to the other person's soul. And so as Jesus blesses the wedding, um, so also uh, we, we learn those things in marriage. Now, that, was, that passage from Ephesians was an, is an option for an epistle reading, and I chose the, a different epistle, the other option from Romans 12, just because I just thought it was nice words to hear nowadays, um, because it says, uh, it talks about um, uh, of how we deal with each other with, with kindness and gentleness, to be patient and humble, serving the Lord, rejoicing, and uh, and uh, doing acts of mercy with cheerfulness, um, love each other with brotherly affection, um, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in par- prayer. Bless those who persecute you, and bless those, and do not curse them. So I, I wanted to read that one just because those were are, are good, timely words for us to consider as well. Um, I was reading uh, Walther on this text, and uh, one thing he mentions is basically that uh, marriage is not a, a replacement for Christ, meaning a lot of times uh, when people—he talks about when people get married, um, they have all the joy of the wedding day, and then it's not long, and they, they see it almost as a slavery. What have we done? I'm stuck to this person for the rest of my life. And the way he words it, kind of something like this, is is if you are looking to marriage to fulfill every spot of your empty heart, you will be disappointed. But if that is filled with Christ, um, then uh, you you learn and it, it blesses your marriage. Especially when you, you consider the gospel where uh, our relationship with God has never been that we are perfect, but uh, we are forgiven. Um and, and God forgives us, much like we talked about earlier. Um, well, so uh, spouses, husbands, and wife realize that the person they're married is not perfect, does have their faults, and, and they learn to forgive and rejoice in what the gift that God has given them anyways. So, so Vicar, or Peter, do you have any, anything to add to that today? No, I think you guys covered everything I was going to say, you know. <laughs> Good. <laughs> All right, so um, one thing I would like to do at the end of this podcast is last time we talked about what are you, what are you preaching on? And I've always wondered um, if people have thought, well, hmm, I wonder what the end product actually sounded like now that they've talked about what are they preaching on and uh, what what actually are they preaching on? What does that sermon that they talked about prior actually sound like? So... Um, at the end of the episode, uh, we will be playing the sermon that I preached last Sunday. So 
if you want to hear us talk about that text, and then you want to hear actually what one of those sermons sounds like, well then stay tuned and listen to it at the end of the show. Um, I also do not have a, uh, a rap song yet. I played some of it for Peter, and he said, what was your reaction? I think I, you said you said it needed some auto-tune. I said it needed a lot of everything. A lot of everything. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to need some work. Yes. Yeah. I even sent you some of my, my lyrics, which I, you, unless you hear the how it goes, you know. But uh, what did you think of the lyrics? Uh, the what I could make out was okay. Okay, a lot of chicken scratches. You, you sent me you sent me a PDF of you drawing on your tablet what you had your for your lyrics. Well, and uh, well, I I am kind of like a Picasso in my artistry. Um, and that not a lot of people understand it. That's correct. My sermons are that way. Um, they take some interpretation. Um, and uh, you know. I don't want to necessarily take my creativity and then just box it in, you know. So that brings us to our first segment, what it is, what it ain't, and what it could be. Peter, play the intro. What is it? Who knows? We do. It's time for what it is, what it ain't, what it could be. So, Vicar, if you remember, uh, we've been uh, addressing uh, three things. What are those three things? Uh, um, oratio, meditatio, and tentatio. And uh, oratatio was a reference to? Yeah, prayer. Prayer. And uh, today, we're the what it is, what it ain't, what it could be, is a reference to meditatio. Okay? Meditation. So, Vicar, when people think about meditation, what do you think they think about? Well, most people probably are thinking something kind of Buddhist or yoga-like and you know, clear your mind and not think of anything. Right. Which is something I don't usually have problem doing. <laughs> um, yeah, so you could get a meditation app where it'll play weird tunes, you know, tones, and you're supposed to breathe. They even have coloring books for it now. Okay. Do you have one of those, Pete? Yeah, yeah, I've got several sitting right here. <laughs> um, and so a lot of times people, when they think of meditation, or they think of, you know, emptying, emptying it, right? Thinking about nothing. Uh, seeking to get some sort of uh, an internal peace by relaxation uh, and stretching. But that's, that's not what necessarily we mean when we talk about meditation, so, what it is? What it is? It is meditating on Scripture, on the Bible, and, and, and doing that continually. And so the first thing when we think about meditation is it's not just kind of letting your mind wander. It is, it's not finding something in yourself as though the answer is in yourself. It is... Uh, it is using God's word to come up with the answers. It is, in a sense, a selfless act. God inspired the Holy Scriptures, and he uses them to inspire us. Um, 
And so, and so when we think of meditation, it is always focused on Scripture. It's not just getting lost in yourself or, or making your brain a nothing box. It is more an intentional, focused uh, a consideration of God's Word. Okay? Now, there's, some, there's also, then, going back to what it is, that's, that's interesting about that. And that is, if it's not necessarily getting lost in yourself, okay, and it's focusing on a word that is outside of you, this meditation isn't necessarily done by yourself. What do I mean by that, Vicar? Well, with with the stereotypical idea of meditation, it's I'm going and sitting in, in my room by myself and thinking of nothing. But here it's, I'm supposed to be focusing on the word and the word is spoken. The mm-hmm. word is spoken as a group. You know, you go to worship. That's that's Christian meditation. So, so going to worship, hearing an external word. And sometimes even being in the sermon, walked through the meditation of that word. Um, having someone explain that external word to you. Because that word is inspired by God. The word of God is what is inspired. And, uh, and that is what he uses uh, to, to uh, breathe life into us. And, and if it's preaching, then, an external word to yourself, uh, preaching is a more than one person thing. You know, if there's a sermon, there are two groups involved. What are the two groups involved? You've got the person who's preaching mm-hmm. and the person who's hearing. Right. And so, you know, there really isn't a sermon if you're preaching it to yourself. No. No, there could be. You're just be... talking to yourself. Right. But that's not, I'm not saying, though, that part of this meditation isn't, you know, on your own applying what is said. But what it is doing, it is taking a wisdom that is outside of yourself. And in a humble way, and that, that's the important, important thing here, and I've been bringing this up uh, in, in things like Bible study um, very often, and that is uh, we don't live in a society that wants to be corrected. We don't live at a time where, oh, there's a truth outside of myself. Everyone thinks that their ideas are right and true, and they don't leave a lot of room to change. But that's what meditation is. It is humbly hearing God's word with an open ear. How have I been wrong? What kind of thinking have I had that needs to change? How have I been not loving my neighbor, not loving God with my whole uh, heart, soul, and strength? And so this kind of meditation is actually a humble, selfless meditation and you have those who hear the word of God, hear an external word, and hearing is very important, by the way, and also then teaching that word. And so when you think of uh, um, how this plays a role in our life as theologians, it means that we open ourselves to be corrected. And that is, I believe, a very much lost art nowadays. Very much so. 
um, you know, where we become judges of the Word of God. You know, I agree with the Word of God because that part of the Word of God agrees with me, where we're placed over the judge of the Word of God. But that's, that's not it. It is you being open to what that Word says and allowing it to dress, address your incorrect thinking and your incorrect doing uh, so it can correct you, um, it can, uh, and all those things. So, Vicar, any comments on that? I mean, we could probably talk a long time about the interaction between, you know, the hearer and the speaker and the word. There's, like, that could be a few hours worth of discussion, but it's pretty straightforward. I was thinking maybe one area where there does overlap with kind of the common notion of meditation is when we're coming to hear the word, whether it's on our own or whether it's, you know, in that worship service, that we're not coming with our thought first. So we kind of do empty ourselves of that. Since you were saying, you know, we're open to correction. So there is a bit of of that open-mindedness where it's like, I'm coming to this looking forward to being told what to think as opposed to thinking and hoping I find that that's, you know, held up with what God said. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so it is then the contemplation on an external word. Okay, um, so what it ain't? What it ain't? What it ain't? It isn't getting lost in yourself. It isn't spiritual introversion. It is um, God's word to you, but it's also not using it ain't using God's Word as some sort of a spiritual springboard. What I mean by that is where, uh, you know, okay, I get the thought. Now I'm just going to jump off and then be lost in my own thoughts. What does it mean to me? Okay. Um, And another thing that it ain't, which flies in the face of how people most understand meditation, is that it isn't necessarily silent reflection which is, I think, how some people think meditation is. It is a silent reflection. It's kind of like a a rule that uh, I had for the children often is, uh, Peter, maybe you can explain this rule, Uh, the say-it-out-loud rule. Well, it's self-explanatory, right? Before you do something that might be a little dumb, say out loud what you're about to do and what the consequences will be. Right. So, so Vicar, think of an, uh, an egregious mistake that you've made in your life. Uh, recently, and do I have to share? Uh, <laughs> well, if you're able to, it'd make it more interesting. <laughs> I can think of many things, yeah. But yeah, I, I, can, I see where your rule's going with that easily. It's, if we were to say it before we do it, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you an example, that, yeah. right? Because I remember, I remember dri- you know, driving in what should have been officially blizzard conditions, you know, I couldn't see past the hood of the car and I found the ditch, which was bad. So if you would have said, Oh yeah, I'm going to keep driving down this road. The lights are out. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to keep driving down this road because I am quite stubborn. Yeah. And, uh, I cannot see and, and I don't know where the road is. And I probably have a good chance of winding up in a ditch. If you had said that out loud, you kind of see a little bit of more crazy. Yeah, it would have 
it would have very quickly been like, okay, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Which is one thing I say often as a vicar supervisor. Vicar, don't do that. Right. So um, and I think of an example, for example, where I was, um, I was painting the house uh, by the garage up in that little corner, Peter, in an mm-hmm. unsteady ladder. Uh, and I said, oh, I can probably do this. And if I had s- said it out loud, you know, I'm going to climb up there with a bucket and a paintbrush un- without someone holding the ladder. Um, I didn't get hurt, but I didn't have to roll no, out of it. No, you got hurt. I rolled out of it. I kind of looked, looked like a parkour thing. I was younger and spryer back then. And so the reason why I bring this say it out loud rule is, is a lot of times when you say it out loud, you hear it, you internalize it, in a sense becomes a word outside of yourself rather than kind of kind of like when the best way to do the catechism is to, to uh, when I have the child, the, my confirmation class read the catechism at home, they have to read it out loud with a parent because there is value in them saying it out loud rather than just kind of cursory going through it and thinking about it. You learn more when you say it out loud and, and uh, you, you talk about it. So when we talk about meditation, it is actually quite verbal. Some other examples of this, singing a hymn, talking about it. Um, uh, here, and, uh, and so it's not just this personal thing. Uh, it is talking about it, singing it, preaching it, listening to it, uh, to this external word, and saying it out loud. And uh, next time uh, you're a listener, you're thinking about doing something, you know, before you go out and do it, say it out loud and say, okay, I am going to, and then you think, well, that doesn't sound very smart. It, it would probably help a lot of people with social media as well, if they would say their comment out loud before they hit enter. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I think the the best way to use those vehicles is for a podcast. And where can they find us, Vicar? Well, they can find us, obviously, on our website, but we're available through email at feedback at clericalerrors.org, also facebook.com slash podcast, and then Twitter at clericalerrorsp, P for podcast. At me, bro. I would like to bring a former vicar on to talk about this. Uh, I think it'd be interesting. Peter is a little nervous about it, but should be kind of cool. Anyways, all right. We digress. But that's where you can find us. So, And thank you, Vicar, for saying it out loud. So what then, to our third section, uh, meditatio, what it could be? What it could be. Well, the first thing is it's a way of simply reteaching what true meditation is. Because I'm not sure how many people, when they think of meditation, actually think in these terms. You know, kind of like your favorite hymn vicar in the garden, for example. A a great hymn, you're laughing, a great hymn of meditation where you're walking in the garden— and what happens to you, Vicar, when you walk in the garden? I actually don't know that song. Okay. So, well, uh, so okay. I can't help you right now. Okay, what happens is you walk <laughs> in the garden, 
and there's someone named Andy who walks with you and he talks with you. Because it goes, Andy walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. I, I didn't realize this was a setup to a dad joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but the, the but the idea of that understanding of meditation is, well, I'm just going to walk in the garden and uh, and God will, will walk with me and talk with me. I almost want to say there in the garden is just, just me and Jesus. Like the people who say that they, they can spend more time with God while fishing than going to church. Right. So, so Vicar, if that's for them, meditation. Um, quick question. Uh, where is the external word that they are hearing? Probably nowhere. Right. I, I, unless they brought it with them, but it doesn't sound like yeah. they did. The only sound they're hearing is some le- leaves maybe rustling in the wind. And uh, the blood-curdling death cry of a deer bleeding to death in the snow. Is that how that Bible verse goes? <laughs> there was a leaves rustling in the wind, but God was not in the in the wind. There was a deer screeching. It's an alternate reading to one of the Psalms. <laughs> uh, not that there's anything inherently bad about just walking through nature, mm-hmm. but. But it's not church. It's, it's not, not the external yeah. word. Yeah. You know? I know. I would say the closest thing I have is every once in a while I'll get alone by myself and I'll sit outside with a nice cigar and I, and I think about things. That's actually how I got the idea of being a vicarage supervisor is, is I was outside having a cigar and I thought, you know, that'd be kind of cool. But that's not what we're talking about. No. Uh, it is a hearing. It is an active it is not emptying your, yourself, like having nothing in your head. It is actually contemplating God's word of being open to change. And what it could be is a way of reteaching this because people may not always recognize it. Another what it is, is it's something that is that can be modeled. You know, we learn how to do this by it being modeled. And sometimes... Uh, it might p- put people in an uncomfortable spot. And I see this actually. Um, I think this happens uh, for seminarians who are going to be pastors sometimes because it's modeled very well for them at the seminary. And and because they're, they're in it every day, it, it becomes very important to them. And um, they, they go out and the people don't... They have trouble getting into that same kind of place that the new pastor is in. And so, to the listener behind the collar, trust your pastor. He's trying to teach you something there. And to the, the pastor, be patient as well. Is you, you know, I see you're nodding your head, which is not very good for a <laughs> podcast vicar. Let me explain. This is an audio form. Understandable. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of laughing at myself because because I'm I'm thinking about my classmates and myself. It's like, yeah, I I kind of see I see this, and there's a few of them where they just if they only they had a way to practice that a little. Mm-hmm. I think it's like, oh, that's right. I have children. That's how I practiced it. But but uh, you know to do this. Meditation, you know, if they're not haven't been exposed, it's kind of weird yeah. sometimes. Yeah, yeah. This, maybe a good way to teach this would be to have this be a you know kind of the format for a Bible study, 
Right. A good example is um, when, when, when someone says, oh, let's meditate on this, and the pastor says, okay, and he sings a hymn. Yeah. Right? Well, some of that might, some might, well, that's, that's different. You know? Well, no, well, no it's, you know, it's, it's something we model and we learn. And then remember, listener, the whole idea of this understanding is to be changed. And so if you say, well, this kind of thing is a little different for me, well, then, you know, maybe you should consider the Word of God changing you. So there can be, you know, looking behind the collar, a little bit of a a disconnect between people uh, and their pastor and how they understand meditation. Um, But uh, I think it can be modeled, and it can be a very beneficial thing. Um. And uh, another way that we, we see this is, uh, for example, in, in some of the prayer services. You know, uh, if, you, if someone says, you know, will you pray for me? And the pastor says, oh, okay, or can we have a prayer? And okay, let's, why don't we gather into church to do uh, Vespers? That might be yeah. not necessarily natural for someone to think about or to do. No, no, it wouldn't be. But what is it? It is really... Uh, singing, yeah. a very audio thing, listening, praying, being gathered around, being the world. gathered together, an, an external word, something where this is really good and tr- good meditation. It's not just someone sitting by themselves getting lost in their thoughts. Yeah, um, I, mean, I, I know I've heard a few pastors their their sort of introduction when they have their sermon. They talk about you know you know that's the you know the meditation of my heart, you know, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. I'm trying to remember which, wh- what, which verse that's referencing out of, but the idea that that's that's the meditation right ha- right now. This is where we're hearing the word and learning it. Right, and uh, and if I may put a plug in, this is for a residential seminary training. Um, this is remember this whole uh, oratio meditatio tentatio is all about making good theologians, right? Well, wouldn't you say that a good portion of the seminary training isn't just what happens in the classroom? No, no. I, I, I mean, the probably the most important part is the chapel service. Hmm. No, that's, that's the chapel where, service. Yeah. But also, even the discussions you have outside oh, yeah. of class, you know, with your classmates. Yeah. There's a whole. It's. It is. Not something, the true seminary experience is not something you get just by taking online classes. No. No. Yeah, the, the classroom work and the, the papers are, you know, maybe 50% of the entire experience, of the learning experience. So much of it is that interaction, that those discussions, you know, the, the wrestling with it at, in a group and talking about it, going to chapel and hearing that word preached and, you know, the gospel proclaimed it's... Yeah, it's it's so much more than just I'm going to go off and pick one of the study rooms in the library and try to rifle my way through a stack of Luther's books. It it is it is a training not only in in the theology of knowledge but the theology of faith. Yeah, and something too that is a part of vicarage as well. Yeah. So uh, and so when we think about what it could be, okay, it, you know we think of how it is mold theologians not just in in the understanding of the words but also in its application 
and and how it's modeled. So it's very important that 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 continues and how we understand this. This is what makes good theologians. All right, that brings us to Confound the Clerics. Hey, Peter, play the intro. Confound the Clerics. Yes, we got an email from Justin. It's kind of a short one. He says, the fifth commandment says, you shall not murder. And I guess this is kind of a uh, an addition to our Is It a Sin series. Is it a sin to kill in war? Is it? Well, that depends. Vicar, you're my military expert here. <laughs> Luther had quite a bit to say about this, didn't he? He, he, he did. He did. Um. And actually, we just read um, in uh, our elders meeting Yeah. just a couple of days ago. That was article... Was it 16? I think that's correct. Article 16 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, uh, talking about the citizens' role in the, 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 the two kingdoms. Because there's discussion. If you are a Christian, can you still be a soldier? And the answer is? Yes. Yes, of course you can. Um, and, uh, and I suppose... I mean, if you're a soldier, what are you trained to do? Yeah, you're trained to fight. You're trained to kill. That's, that's right. kind of the most basic of their tasks. Right, which I think is sometimes lost nowadays. <laughs> a little bit, you know. Yeah. You know. Anyways. <laughs> um, I don't want Twitter to ban us. I'm going to stop. Um, so, so when it comes to, well, when, when do you think it would be okay and when do you think it would not be okay? Bigger. For for a soldier? For a soldier, yeah. I mean, when he's been given orders, you know, he's been deployed, he's in combat, that's his job. That's his vocation. That's, you know, his duty as an actor of the government to go and, if necessary, kill. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I did a, a, a little uh, kind of vocation study a while back, and I was looking at... Um, Sergeant York, as an example, and he was wrestling with that problem. You know, I want to be a good Christian, but I'm also supposed to be a soldier. Well, if he never has to kill anyone, that's fine. But if he goes over and he's in the trenches, and he has to, then he does. He has not betrayed his faith, and he's done his duty. It's, it's the same as the police officer who has to arrest somebody, you know, or the person whose job is, you know, executor. And they have a criminal who is now to be executed. That's their job. And and, uh, and so, uh, especially, now what it, when it becomes tricky is is when you're dealing with whether it's a just war or not. Yeah. And that, that I think that can be kind of fuzzy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know I've, I've had this question tossed at me a few times with catechism discussions, and it's like, my first reaction is like, okay, if someone's being killed, yeah, that is a sin. That's just that blanket statement of someone has died. That was wrong. But that doesn't, but in terms of the, you know, the kingdom of the left, the relationship of those of us here in time and on earth, if that's their duty, they have not broken the law. 
in in terms of the interaction. Because who gives us our governmental authorities? It comes from God. That's Romans 13 right there. Right. And so so you might think, well, when it comes to war, killing is sinful. Well, not necessarily because you are obeying an authority that God has yeah. given to you. That being said, you know, if you find yourself, for example, in Nazi Germany and you're given orders. Yeah. That's the question of is the government legitimate? Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah, then it becomes a little tricky. Yeah. Um so and, and it also becomes nowadays a, a modern um a modern application is is sometimes in, in the, the training of soldiers there is a way of in a, what I would say of because people have a conscience about it, right? It's not natural for we've been taught since we've been little and, and God has given us that uh you're not supposed to to kill. And uh, they have done studies in the past where, where a large percentage of soldiers actually don't actually have pulled the trigger, so to speak. Right. Yeah, it's it's really small, the number of people who go off to war that actually kill someone. And of those people, there's a there's almost a minority that do most of that combat. And, and so it's the way that that's been addressed uh, is is uh, the military knows this. And so part of the training of a soldier is to kind of start with a blank slate so that they have more people who are willing and able to do what the army needs them to do. And I think that's why we have a lot of soldiers coming back with more issues, even those who didn't necessarily serve in a combat situation. Yeah. Because they've, in a sense, been broken down, being trained to kill. And even if they don't use it, their conscience is disturbed. Yeah, D- disconnecting their humanity from the action as well as seeing the other side as not human either. Right. Yeah. But in war, uh, it is not sinful as a first soldier to kill. Um, and... You know the the Old Testament is filled quite often with soldiers killing, yeah, at the command of God. So, so no, it isn't. Um, in fact, you know, for many, it is their vocation. Especially when you think of, of you know, um, uh, oppression, killing the oppressor, freeing those in slavery protecting others um, sometimes it's it is necessary now you can talk about other parts of war you know uh, where it's more killing of civilians women and children that's yeah you know that's where the conscience I I, I know someone uh, who is was called home many years ago and this is when I was first a pastor who still struggled with the, the fact that he uh, flew over Hiroshima like a day or two after the, the bomb was dropped. Ooh. And he never recovered from that. He said those people, they didn't know what's coming. And he, he just thought of the women and the children, you know, who were just simply trying to survive. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that's, that was hard for them. But at the same time, you know, history says it saved a lot of lives. 
but it doesn't, when you think of the conscience, yeah. that doesn't. Yeah, when I was talking with the catechism class on the Ten Commandments, uh, I had it described to me one way that, you know, how, how the commandments, how much they hurt your neighbor when you break them goes in reverse order. And so, you know, when you covet what they have, that's, that's harmful. But when you steal it, it's even more harmful. When you kill them, it's even more harmful. And so there's kind of a, an almost gray area of morality when it comes to how our sin hurts our neighbors. And that's what, where the, the issues of like strategic bombing comes in. It's like that does great harm to the civilians, but it, you know, when it's been used, it's usually for shortening a war and keeping casualties down. Mm-hmm. So hearing things like Hiroshima or the bombing of Dresden in Germany, it's, those were huge numbers of people who died. But if it had been the army marching in to those cities, those numbers would have been so much higher. Mm-hmm. And so th- this kind of this kind of odd perspective of all sin all sin to God is equal to our neighbor sin is you know how how much it harms them and and the thing too about sin is is this is when you think of of sinful situations there's no way of whitewashing any situation you know no. Well, if you're talking about war, okay, what's the you're just wrestling with the lesser of evils and trying to yeah, you know yeah, I I can't imagine having to be in Truman's shoes with with the decision of the bomb. I I can't. Or or, or another example is uh is uh, we talked about marriage, right? Yeah. Um. Well, when there are marriage troubles and and all and divorce happens, is there you know is there a way of of outside of you know Sometimes we create situations for ourselves where, well, what's the right thing? And you're like, <laughs> you know, where it, you know, all sorts of different situations where, where uh, sin has so filled everything to say, oh, okay, this is always the right thing to do. No, especially talking about children and all those things. The best thing is to not get divorced yeah. and for everyone to love each other. Um, some, sometimes it's just what is the least wrong thing to do right I, now I would say I would say this is there would be a difference for a soldier having to kill and a soldier becoming a soldier so because he wants to wants to kill yeah that would be a difference that, yeah that, that's, that's a big difference I don't think I've met many people who've joined the military because they want to kill yeah well, I'm sure there are some out there probably you know but usually the ones I've met, they want to join the military because they want to defend. Defend, yeah. To keep, to protect, to save lives. Yeah. All right. Well, this brings us to the conclusion of our show. More of a quiet, subdued show with the full cast of characters today. That is okay. Um, thank you for listening. We will have um, uh, Bert... And Berg or Berg and Bert and someone with us again next time. And uh, thank you for listening to the show. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Vicar. And may your meditatio be heard. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash clericalheirspodcast 
on Twitter at Clerical Heirs P for podcast or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time. In the name of Jesus, amen. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. God our Father opened heavens to say these words. This is my Son. I love him. This is my Son. I am well pleased. He is my treasure, my son in whom I delight. When God boomed those words from heaven, they were not given for Jesus' sake. God gave those words for you. This, my son, I love here. He is given to you. The Father did not give you another prophet, which the people would generally ignore. He didn't send an angel to give his message like he had many times before. This was his son. He didn't give the riches of the world that our hearts desire. He said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. He said these words as soon as Jesus emerged from the water. The water where sinners were coming to repent of their sins. Filthy sins. Sinners of the worst kind. Sinners like you and me. The Father gives what he himself, with his own voice from heaven, says, with the anointing of a Holy Spirit as a dove, Here, dear sinners, in the water, I give you what is most precious to me. My beloved, the one who pleases me, my son. I will get into the theology of what that means in a minute or two, but let me just kind of bask in that for a moment. Because, let's be honest, humanity has had a rough go of it lately. The last week, the last few months, the last year. How many of you feel really good about being a human right now? Any of you? It's kind of why people like dogs so much, because they can have companionship without dealing with humans. New Year's, we all blamed 2020, and we said, well, 2020 hopefully will be better. 
and then 2020 just kind of grabbed us by the sleeve and pulled us aside and whispered in our ear, it's not me, it's you. And by you, I don't mean all those other mean humans messing everything up for you. I mean you. And by you, I mean you and me. God has a way of giving us what we want. Eve was tempted. Eat this fruit. I can be like God. I will know good and evil. So she ate. And then she said, oh no, I'm naked. We always want to be right. We always want to rejoice when stumble, others stumble. We like to make idols out of all sorts of things, out of our stuff, out of our pride, out of our leaders, out of our sports teams, out of ourselves, out of our cell phones, out of our country, out of whatever you name, our ideas, our affiliations. And then God allows us to see just how far those gods will take us. And then we realize, oh no, where are we headed? Oh no, where is our security? Oh no, what's going to happen of us? The false gods we love, they're not helping. In fact, these false gods have failed you, and they will continue to fail you. And the only thing they can seem to demand is more allegiance. I need more of your attention. I need more of your anger. I need more of your hatred. I need more of your greed. I need more of your scandal. I need more of your accusations. Fight for me. Live for me. Be willing to die for me. And then along comes the true God. The one who actually created you. And what does he say? This is my son. Behold my precious son. My beloved son. My only son. That's him in the water. I put him there in the water. For you silly humans, I give you my son. He joins you in the water. He meets you in the water. Before Jesus was baptized, John tried to prevent it. He said, don't get into the water, Jesus. I need to be baptized like you. I'm the dirty one. I'm the prodigal. I'm the human. I'm the sinner. But Jesus insisted. It is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. The sins of pride, lust, hatred, covetedness, murder, assassination of character, shame, adultery, stealing, 
those will fit me just fine. They will fit me just fine when they are nailed to the cross. The damnation that sinners deserve will fit me just fine, Jesus says, when I cry out to my Father, why have you forsaken me? Words that prove that God gave up his beloved Son, his precious Son, his beloved Son, the Son that pleased him for you. And you may wonder, how do I know that this gift the Father in heaven gave in his Son is for me? Well, when you are baptized, did water hit your head? Were you not also baptized in the name of the Father who opened heaven to proclaim you to be a beloved child for the sake of a Lord Jesus Christ who entered the water by the Holy Spirit who sanctified you and anoints you by the command of God, by Christ Jesus who said, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in this name, the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. And didn't Jesus himself say that he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness? When the Father opens heaven to speak and say, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Was he lying? No. He was simply telling you what kind of gift he was giving you through your baptism. That through the waters of baptism, as St. Paul teaches, you might be buried with Christ and raised with him. Which is why he was born human for you. And I know this seems crazy to us. It's not how we like to do things, is it? We've shown a pattern of this. But St. Paul says in our epistle reading, he says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord. And I want you to think, as I close the sermon, of those who were baptized with Jesus that day. 
They came confessing their sins. They are told, we are told in the Bible, they came confessing their sins and heeding the call. Repent, the kingdom of God is near. And what happened? The kingdom of heaven, the Son of God, joined them in the water. God gave them a gift. And when we gather here in God's own house, God joins us in the water. He meets you in the water. Not as we say, oh, we are so sorry for all the sins in the world out there. No. But to say, today, God gives me a gift. Today, the water flows for me. Today, not only does the water flow for me, he even feeds me with his own body to eat and blood to drink. And today, God gives you a gift. I almost picture the voice of heaven booming, almost in a bragging type of a way. Look at the gift I gave you. This is my beloved son. 